Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Sour and Sass. I am very excited to be with you today and even more excited to be joined by Brian Koffler from Insided. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you. Uh, that intro is awesome, by the way. I think a few other guests have commented and watching it again. Great job. It's awesome. Oh, thanks. I got to let the design team know they uh, put a lot of hard work into all yeah. this and try to give it a little bit of something, you know, Catchy something tune. That's why I like yeah. it. Yeah, it's nice. Now it is sour and sass. So you ready to get after it? I am ready. I have my uh, blue raspberry toxic waste. All right. I've got my uh, toxic waste worms that I found. <laughs> Really appetizing. Yeah, that are stale. <laughs> All right, right? Oh, yeah. So. Well, these are sour. Brian, the rest of the world is ungating content. You are gating it, and you have so much of it. So many ebooks, so many white papers, so many assets. Can you walk me through kind of why you're zigging when everyone else is zagging and kind of what you're trying to do there? Yeah. First off, um, most of it is gated. Not all of it is gated. It actually is um, more evenly split than it might look from an outside perspective. We actually do send a lot of our content in follow-up emails and um, kind of email channels that are not gated to segments. So it, it's not totally gated. Yeah. Um, the reason that it's gated externally, especially from paid ads, and it's probably what you've seen or what past webinars is that the success has been uh, really evident. We're getting tens, tens or dozens of downloads a day on our gated content. And I think uh, part of that, there's a couple of reasons, but I think a lot of it is we are providing content for a space that doesn't really have a lot currently. And people yeah. are super kind of intrigued with just our opinions on the community space, which is a space that's blowing up in SaaS. Um, and then once we get the original or the first content download, then we uh, nurture with a lot of ungated content. So it's almost just like the gate or like the first step to get someone in. And then once they're in, they get access to a ton of ungated content, which I think you probably saw all the content we have. Yeah, no, I was looking at it. It was actually like really good because the eBooks were really thorough. And I could tell that like it had a high quality level to it. I guess one yes. of my curiosities is, when we think about benchmarking, what, what do you think other, because I kind of consider you all like a series A, like smaller mm -hmm. startup at this time. And a lot of the guests on the show, right, are kind of on like fully mature, either publicly traded or yes. prepping for IPO. So as an like series A SaaS, you know, under 25 million in funding, what's a good benchmark for a lead to demo rate since you're running on demos? So if someone does gate an asset, are we hoping to get 2% of leads to demos, 5%? Like, what do you think is a good benchmark for people to think about? Yeah, it's really funny. I, uh, I've i been thinking about that a lot. I, I actually think of it more in the stages, broken down into more specific stages than that. I don't really look at lead to demo. I look at lead to warm lead, warm lead to MQL, MQL to SQL, and SQL to demo. So yeah, if you look at the full thing, 2% or 3% seems like a yep. good benchmark. But I'm actually more focused on how many of those warm leads or leads download multiple pieces of content become warm leads. How many of those warm leads actually download or request a demo and become MQLs and how many of those become SQLs. And we've seen that the rate of people who request one piece of content to request another is super high, like 
over 30% or something over their lifetime. And then we're looking, okay, how many of those warm leads can we get to uh, request a demo? Yeah. And we're actually, I don't actually have that answer because we're building it out right now to figure out that calculation. Um, but what I can tell you is the people that actually get to the MQL stage, like raising their hand are converting to SQLs and demos at extremely high rates over 40% and then over 50% from SQL to demo. Yeah. So what we're doing is working. And now we're yeah. actually just putting the data analytics behind it to, to get all of those benchmarks to a standard and then working yeah. on improving them. Um, but yeah, I think the total journey is super interesting and also the time it takes to do all of those actions. Yeah, for you, in your perspective, how long does it take on average to get someone from downloading an ebook initially to wanting a demo? Like, because I think some of the biggest mistakes I see SaaS marketers make is they do a forecasting on a pure waterfall method, but without a time decay. Yeah. And so, and then a lot of them anchor their revenue goal to the lead instead of the opportunity. So, like when I do forecasting, I do all my forecasts off ops because the yep. time decay is fairly consistent compared to Correct. lead to ops. So how do you think about that time decay from I think about to, it. You know. Yeah, I think about the same way as you do, actually. Um, uh, we see that the time decay all the way from initial download to opportunity and want to deal six months around. That's a wow. broad sweeping statement. But yeah, but we see the, uh, the time decay. And we're, again, pulling these metrics literally this quarter for the year as we speak so we can uh, benchmark it for next year and then work on it. But the time decay from opportunity to close deal or even SQL or MQL to close deal is much shorter. It's two to one to two months. So um, yeah, it's a, yeah. again, it's almost like, how do I get somebody down on one piece of content to then request a demo? That's like the next big landmark or moment. And then from there, how do we get them to one revenue? Um, not saying that looking through all the way is stupid or doesn't make sense because it does, but I think it makes, a, it makes it a lot easier to actually conceptualize when you think about it in the, Different yeah, there's like these sequential milestones that you're milestones as like significant events. Now, yes. when you go through all that, there's a part of it that I know is impossible for you to connect because I can't do it myself. But how do you think about your podcast? Right. So if we go into your kind of like there's this yes. other nurture brand thing that SAS wants to do because they saw Drift did it. And, <laughs> you know, I like not um, to be cynical, but like what like how do you see podcasting now that it's so prolific and there's so much of it like how do you see podcasts as a series a company i think, I think it's of, a, like as a series a i think is the nuance here our pod so i'm gonna group our podcast and our podcast is actually done by our vp of cs it's not even done by myself or um you know somebody on the growth marketing team because yeah. she's the one who's more embedded in our community than i am um she does an amazing job and then also our vp of marketing does a lot of external speaking engagements on podcasts like this or at events in person um, in the community space. And I think of those things kind of in the same vein where you're never going to be able to measure dollars back exactly. But the more brand recognition, the more direct traffic and the more people who come to inside its website or get our content or download ebooks, um, the better it's going to be for our bottom line opportunity pipeline and revenue. So yeah, we're okay with that. We know it's never going to be uh, every doubt, you know, every action we do is perfectly measurable, but we're also, like you said, a little bit on the scrappier um, earlier stage than especially some of our competitors. So we want to get our, like, that's 
yeah. if somebody knows inside his name that doesn't know a competitor's name, that's a win right there. So uh, I think that question is a ever ongoing challenge a little bit of how to measure those things. Well, yeah, because it's not always just the measurement that's the issue. It's like, should we spend more on it? Should we go more in on this? I think so many people see it as like, is it worth it? But the other angle to look at is, do should we do more of it? And I think so often, you know, we don't think like that. Now, your space reminds me a lot of like Sales Hacker and like Outreach.io, these like niche startups that have this space that doesn't have a lot of content. And so yep. – by being content heavy, you can take some market share. Yeah. Amazon books. Have you guys written one yet? Do you want to? I feel like that's a pretty cool opportunity for not, someone like yourself right now. Yeah, no, not yet. I, I completely agree though. Um, I think all new channels that are that you can differentiate yourself differentiate yourself in as a company or even as a person or department is worth doing. And I think one thing that I've seen since I've joined is the community space is very vibrant right now, not specific companies, even just on LinkedIn or on some of these forums, people are excited about community functions and CS functions at in SAS. And they are clearly showing that with the content kind of uh, downloads and metrics that we're seeing um, and podcasts and events uh, success that we're seeing. So yeah, I think uh, we're kind of riding a wave that's that's really we're fortunate that the space we're in is also expanding as our company is expanding. So, uh, yeah, I'll take the book idea back, though. It's a good one. I like it. Um, similar to similar to podcast, though. Right. It's something that people want to consume about an industry that more people are now professionalizing and getting into and having their own departments at their company. So, yeah, no, Christian actually had a question for us over here. Brian, he wants to know what's the name of the podcast you guys got over there. Oh, um, we have. Well, there's um, a few, actually. Um, uh, Annika uh, is on an insided, her, our own insided podcast, and I'll send it, I could link it out, yeah. where she has guests in the, um, from community departments at other companies or CS departments. Um, Christian will send it over. And then uh, my VP, Remco, is on multiple podcasts and events. He was actually just named a top CS influencer, I believe, on oh. LinkedIn. Um, yeah. and he literally yesterday, he was on a CMX one. He's on podcast literally once or twice a week when he's not answering my slacks. So I will send over a bunch of different, uh, podcasts. Uh, and yeah, it's, uh, you know, we have the one that we host the inside a community podcast, but then we, we love going external. So yeah. it's, uh, spreading the brand. I think there's a better oh, saying yeah. than that, but you know, brand ambassadors or people, like I said, just recognizing inside it's name is a win that's how we love that. that and then you can see that here eric actually already hooked it up for us thanks so very, eric. Very cool. now the you said something about events i actually was talking to another kind of uh smaller bootstrap type startup and events are a big part of their growth how, how should people in this kind of post i know we're still in it but like yeah. let's just call it post covid to a certain extent since there are like <laughs> yeah so, you know, how, how do you think Series A, like startups that are in this kind of growth phase, how, how do you think they should think about events and what's kind of working for y'all? Great question. We actually, um, I wasn't able to go, but we actually just went back to our first in-person event since COVID disaster. We had a, a few members of the team go out. I'm popping yeah. a second sour. All right, right now. let's do it. Um, okay. <laughs> it, was, it was tempting me. Um, oh. 
I know you yeah. like this candy. I feel I, like you're like the first guest who's like, I like it. Um, <laughs> I'm not afraid to admit that. Um, I think there's two things. So one, partially just brand recognition, being at events in the space, similar to podcasts, similar to um, content. People just start recognizing you and start coming to your website organically. That's number one. PR, yeah. PR. Number two, um, especially in the community space and CS space, um, it's a tight-knit community in, this, in the SaaS world. You start seeing the same people over and over. Then you start to have them speak at your event, and you get to speak at their event. And we're doing a ton of co-hosting mm. or kind of co-content creation. Um and that just leads to a waterfall effect of great things of customers using wanting to learn more about your platform that's using somebody that you're doing content with, vice versa, introductions. Um, so for me, there's always two parts of it. One is brand. And then the other part is what actual results, leads, pipeline, revenue can we tie back? And I think most companies would, would see, especially pre-COVID when you were meeting people in person, the... Uh, percentage of customers that you actually get to meet that become customers is way higher if you meet them in person. Mm -hmm. um, I've done this at, a, at a, my past jobs. We actually ran that report and statistics. Yeah. And it was something crazy. Like we met 80% of our uh, customers that became customers in person at some point over their customer yeah. journey. Um, people, I mean, people still like getting lunch and meeting, um, it, it matters. The relationship matters. So, Yeah. You know, when we were first starting Directive and we were trying to break into SaaS, one of the things we did, I thought that was really interesting, is we would do private events in Silicon Valley. So we'd fly up, we'd rent out a restaurant, and then we would pack it with all our target accounts and like the B-level, D-level, or C-level executives. Yep. And that was something that worked really well for us. I see you're doing on-demand webinars. How, how, do you, how do you feel about on-demand webinars? Do you think because it's kind of like a legacy tactic that I don't see as much of anymore. And I'm not saying it doesn't work. It's just something I don't see as much of anymore. Like, we, how do you see, see them? Yeah. Um, it is. It's not probably, I wouldn't say it's one of our top generating lead or yep. MQL or revenue, but we see it as a step kind of within that customer journey. So often it's not the first piece of content, but it's a great second or third piece of content that somebody who has already downloaded one of the 12 or 15 ebooks. Yeah, that like I want to see a demo, but I don't want to talk with a salesperson. Or I saw like, you at an event. Yep. I saw you in an event or I saw Remco speak at an event. I want to learn a little bit more about what you do, but I'm not yet. I don't know the platform. So I'm going to go download a on-demand webinar and watch or listen at my convenience. Um, it's a good second, like I said, second or third engagement with the company. Um, and it's on people's own time. So another nice part about content I like, love that. like that yeah yeah now okay so i'm gonna create a little scenario for you okay you have another 20 million you just raised in funding and it's all yep. allocated in marketing oh boy okay yeah can i and buy you can only do one channel where, yeah. where are you how are you gonna how you grow in you got to put 20 million dollars into something it's a crazy oh, scenario boy. but you know, if you had to choose one channel to go all in on and you had a boatload of money to fund it, where, where, where would you take it? So I think well, that's a, that, I've never been asked that question. That's a good question. I've never um, thought about all of it. One channel. My answer normally would be something like uh, X percent of it would go to headcount to actually focus on X channels. But if I had to put it in one channel, I think pay i think um, the, let's just say the inbound channel and then I, yeah. I can get a little creative with what goes into that so that's 
con all the content promotion and then just um, demo pricing, ad straight advertising for our platform. And the reason I say that is one, I think it has probably the easiest uh, ROI to calculate out of all of the channels. So if you get funding, you always want to show what you did with it and what the results were. And two, I think the kind of inbound channel is broad enough where there's enough you can do with content and with straight uh, bottom of the funnel advertising that you could fund or fuel a pretty sophisticated engine with just that one channel. Um, yeah. Again, what about the companies like Monday? Like, let's talk though, like, what about these yeah. other startups that did kind of do this, right? Like, I know it sounds like a funny question, but they did pretty much take 20 million and then they threw it on YouTube, programmatic, social, and they went really top of funnel and said, we are going to whack you in the head with our product until you they know at least it check is. it out. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think if you are super structured and super confident in that bet, it is a bet that you can make. It is not one that I would recommend unless you are super confident or have some reason to think that. Um, but clearly for Why? a company like, yeah. um, because I think, let's say for a community, um, yeah. the community space, it's a newer space. And I'm not sure anyone is that positive about what would work in a space that is relatively new and there's new professionals and new departments sprouting up every day. Um, so monday.com is in a space that's a little more mature so i think yep. they probably have a little more research or, or like gut that tells them that they could spend 90 percent of their spend on one channel and it's going to work um we've seen that a little bit with certain channels but i, I would say we're not confident enough in just one and that's why we want to invest in multiple channels and and definitely then pump and scale the ones that are working like our content is a yep. great example that's why you've seen so much effort being put there um People but want yeah. to scale content. They don't usually want to fund it, Brian. Uh, I got so, lucky. I got lucky. Yeah. What does sense. scaling content require in your mind with headcount? Like what's a good amount of content for headcount? Like, I mind? got so lucky at Insided because when I joined the content and the kind of internal buy-in for scaling content was already there. Um, I didn't have to actually do that yeah, and argue for it. Yeah, I didn't have to internally sell it, which is great. And I think there's just there needs to be buying the, the belief that not every, like exactly what we said before, not every piece of content or everything we do in an event is going to be measurable as long as the bottom line pipeline, one ARR recurring, uh, you know, upsell revenue is increasing and hitting our goals, then we are going to keep funding the brand and funding content. So that uh, was already established before I joined, which as a demand growth person, I got lucky because that's often yeah. an internal argument I know, or internal selling, I should say. Um, and I think, yeah, it, to do content well, and I think inside it does it very, very well for a company of our size, um, a little bit biased, but I, I genuinely think that's true. You need to have a strategy and then some kick-ass content people, writers, designers, strategists, um, who are thoroughly thinking about what is our opinion on X topic and how does it fit into our company narrative and then writing, uh, all kinds of content that kind of fit into that, but is exciting. And that's hard B2B. Like that's not easy. So let me break down the team for me. Let's say I want to do um, three pieces a week. I want to do 12 pieces a month. What does my team need to look like? How many writers do I need? How many designers do I need? Yeah. Like, how do I build that head count? I think you need, you need a, so the first thing I would say is you need a, which we have a head or, or you know, head of content. 
and we have uh, Joe on, on our marketing team. She's awesome. She's strategizing, okay, what's the theme this quarter and what are all the pieces, eBooks, blog posts, case studies that flow into that. And then depending on um, how long the, those forms of content are, I think you need at least one or two uh, people who are just focused on the writing and designing. Um, and I know a lot of companies, including my last company and inside it, do some kind of mix of internal and external agencies for that. Um, but yeah. I, I would actually say that the hardest part isn't so much the production. It's the making sure that there is a thread that goes through all of the content that makes sense for someone on the buyer journey and where they would actually find it. Um, and again, I can't take a lot of credit. I got lucky with Insider that that was already established. And now it's more of a, okay, let's, what's the next theme? What's the next quarter? How are we distributing it? Um, yeah. How does it fit into the Insider company message or uh, our view of the world? And now we're actually spending more of our time on the distribution and the paid promotion and the organic promotion, like uh, what, you're, what you saw and were asking about before, than we are the yeah. content side because we've done such a great job of kind of establishing that. So that is not easy. No, it's not. And I thought that was really interesting, especially for your you alls size, how much you've done there. So it's like cool to see how committed. The very committed. The organization wow. is very committed to it and also internally everyone is bought in that it is worth their time from sales side to sharing it to our C-level sharing it. And like I said, our uh, VPs all going externally to do content. Everyone is bought in. I think it needs to be like that or else you'll never get the really internal funding or justification or buy-in. So No, I love that. And I think it's a totally a team effort. Now, you do have some big logos though. And I don't normally see like you know, you guys have some good SaaS logos, yep. great customers, good organizations using you. And I wouldn't say that this like content strategy is usually what drives that. So where are the big logos coming from? Is it coming from the content? Is it coming from somewhere else? How, how's that happening? Because I think for how small you all are, you also have the right logo. So you have this yes. really good foundation. So yeah, so I'm just yes. curious how, yeah. I think both. Um, I don't think that answer is actually cut dry. Um, any yeah. one channel. I think that there there's a waterfall effect there when you get some nice SaaS. You've probably seen this with some of your other guests who have yeah. Series C or D companies that have seem to have all of the top SaaS logos. Yeah. Once you get um, a few, especially in a space like CS that people all kind of know each other, there's like this waterfall effect of we then do content with gong or zapier and somebody knows them and they see that and then they work for them and then they're like oh what's inside it and then they download an ebook and two months later they request the demo um but we also uh, events is a great kind of example of this we meet our customers and also prospects who are potential customers of our customers at events yeah. all the time um and i think the waterfall effect you see there um yes they may not have started with content but they somehow heard about Insided from one of our customers often through content and then make their way back to actually learning about Insided. Again, that could happen months later, um, yeah. but that's still the kind of ecosystem that we're creating with everything we're putting out into the world and it's intentional. So I love that. Pricing. Yeah. We don't have it on our website. I always ask about this because mm -hmm. it says, you know, like the copies, like we love straightforward and transparent pricing. Yep. And I'm like, where is it though, fam? You know? <laughs> so, um, you know, in that case, like, how do you see it? Do you think that's something the organization wants to do one day or do you guys? Yeah, like we're, 
separate. Yeah. We're going through a rebrand and a website update, um, which has been going on for a while and hopefully is launching relatively soon. Um, it actually, uh, the genesis of this was even before I started full time. So as I've onboarded and, and been now working in inside, it's really interesting to see the progress of that and how we're going through it. I, I believe that um, the pricing and kind of all of our function and features will be highlighted better on the new website. I can confidently say that. I also know that for a series A, um, it's actually not a, a lie or misconception. Like we are changing that relatively quickly compared to a more yeah. mature company that has a set pricing and structure yeah. fee structure. I know uh, insides recently just changed the factors that we price off of. So putting it on the website, if it's then incorrect is actually just worse than getting yeah. someone an accurate quote. And that's happened recently. Um, also, yeah. interestingly enough, insided is uh, originally and the headquarters are in the Netherlands. So um, we have some European companies and obviously there's, different pricing and the conversion rates and everything uh, is, isn't always, if you actually just say it, what it is in dollars, it actually could be a turnoff um, or a misunderstanding or how uh, contracts work in some of those European countries. So that's also been a big change. We're mostly focused on US companies now, but that wasn't always the case. And that's a, another reason that we needed the rebrand and we need to kind of uh, yeah. be up to date. But in general, yeah, I think transparency, I, I would say at least the factors that you're pricing off of should be transparent, even if the exact dollars need to be worked out later. Somebody should have a good understanding of what generally the software should cost. Yeah. So I'm guessing you do uh, annual contracts and not month to month. Correct. So you're looking more at renewal rate than churn rate. Correct. Do you, do you try to tie that back? Do you try to tie renewal rate to channel? And other things like that, or how do you kind of think about activation versus acquisition? Yes, you have a big focus on life cycles. Yeah, it's a good question. We are focused on, well, all of the above. Honestly, is is the yeah. real answer. I know that's not what you want to hear, um, but I think we we're actually experimenting with multi year contracts off the jump um, and have seen a lot of success. I think people actually want to commit to something in a way and build with a partner to make sure it's working. And I think um, one thing that we've seen is often we're, we're seeing a lot of success in two to three year contracts. And then it's not like you have to feel like you're fighting every 10 months or nine months for that next year. So um, you have 20 or 24 months to build an actual relationship, meet them in person, ask what could be better about our well, platform. And your LTV CAC ratio goes your, up. To your lifetime value goes up, right? That, we, so we're, we're actually, like I said, a lot of this is a kind of on the fly, but we're seeing that in real time. And the other interesting thing, going back to your last question, is the bigger logos and the bigger players in this SaaS world, I believe that's, uh, that's actually beneficial to them. There's a lot of process. They need procurement. There's a lot of people involved on their side. They probably have, want more seats, so it's going to be – or more sessions. So it's probably going to be a little more expensive on their side. Um, it's actually – easier in a way if they can lock it in or any software in for multi-year and then the conversation and this is mostly done on our cs team so shout out to them but the conversation is then okay how many seats do you need now not are we renewing right like who who did you hire that now needs a seat or how many sessions or what customers did you bring on um in the year and a half not 
okay, we just implemented you. Now you've been using the software for a few months. Now it's already time for upsell or renewal. So, yeah, no, I love that. Yeah. Because, you know, I've found when working with, you know, SaaS organizations, when we focus on activation and sometimes those like business economics, whether that's our growth margin, whether that's our initial cost of acquisition, whether that's our lifespan of a customer, whether that's our average order value and our pricing, a lot of times smaller startups, one of the reasons they can't grow is their financials aren't right. In other words, they don't charge enough for their services or they can't retain customers long enough to actually do paid advertising. So do you all feel like for you, you're at that point where you feel really confident in your financial modeling and you can scale? Or do you feel like that's a little bit why you're still so much on content? No, I actually, um, this has changed in the last 12 months, but I think we're definitely at a point where we feel confident now in the unit economics of our sale and our life cycle that we are, like I said, kind of pedal to the metal, all systems go. Um, We're actually, we're actually spending under the amount that we can to generate an opportunity and one deal, um, which is like the best thing I could hear because it means I can spend more (laughs) to generate more. Um, And, but I think we, it took us a while to get there. And one thing that we've done, and you just mentioned this is, we raised our prices and kind of um, across the board because we realized that now we're selling into logos that have real budgets and want yeah, to different pay. budget, different, different budgets, right? Real is not the right word, different budgets. Um, and that's what they expect for investment into a software. And we provide a service that people really value and oftentimes want more seats when the renewal or contract is coming up. So I think it took a while to realize that. And it's almost like you have to self-validate a little bit of like, no, we're like somebody. No, we got this. We need to raise our rates. Somebody's willing to pay this. And like, this is what they have in the budget. And it's not, uh, it's okay to to do that. And once we started to see the traction and there was not a ton of pushback and now we're consistently signing deals that were double or triple the annual value of what they would have been 12 months ago. It's like, okay, this is now the right baseline. Um, now we can advertise. Now we can yes. grow. We have the margins. Correct. He, I love that. I think people don't realize, especially marketers, how important pricing is and what it does for the entire business. And it's really exciting to hear that you all had that breakthrough. Um, yes. Our, um, our I got to give a shout out. Our VP of sales, Udit, he came on board um, you know, I, I, around a year ago, I believe. And that was his big, that exact problem or, or yeah. challenge, I should say, was what he focused on. And now he, him and his team have been uh, crushing it and proving that, yeah, like this is, this is the new kind of ACV. This is the new average op size. This is the new contract, uh, average annual multi-year contract size. And uh, now that we have those and they've increased, it's, very easy or easier i should say to full systems go on the spend and the average op uh dollar spent on to create an op or to to unlock different channels you can start to be a little bit more diverse and aggressive with where you allocate your spend yes and yeah i love to hear that it's a it's exciting and it's also i think a lot of internal validation i know i mentioned that earlier but it's like everyone now on the team is like this is this is the new model and new standard moving forward, and we're willing to spend a little more because we know that the average deal is going to be bigger. So it's great. I love it. I love it. Well, Brian, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for being on the show. If someone wants to learn more about yourself and Insighted, uh, what's the way for them to do it? Uh, well, myself, um, if you'd like to learn more, I have a LinkedIn. 
Um, so, oh, thanks. There you go. Um, yeah. About inside it, yeah, I think, uh, you know, the 30-second elevator pitch is really, um, if you're a SaaS company that is looking to evolve your community into a great experience for your customers, inside it's a great platform. And you can go to inside.com. Uh, as you mentioned, Garrett, there's a ton of content, some gated, some free, um, that I think is really, really informative um, and it puts people kind of in the right perspective and right mindset about what they should be thinking about when they think about their community as customer or their customer yeah. community. Um, and you could always, you know, reach out to me personally, request the demo. There's a million ways to get in contact. Um, but I think uh, the space is really exciting. And a lot of companies, B2B, SaaS companies especially, are thinking about how do we make our experience better for our customers? And that's where Insider comes into play. So. I love it. I appreciate I it. having me on. These candies are awesome. I, if I'm the first fan, I, I will take that. I'm gonna have a third. I love it. I love it. Well, hey, that's our sass, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks.